We're going to, Bezra Hashem, over the next approximately hour, uh, slightly more perhaps, but about an hour, uh, we're going to, um, I, I actually, the truth of the matter is, don't know the exact time, because I was told one thing, if I'm not mistaken, and then it changed. 140, perfect, okay. So, Belineda, we're going to be done by 140. Um, over that approximate hour, we are going to try to tackle um, specifically Masa Merkava of Yechezkel, the opening prophecy in, in chapter 1, but in a broader sense, really the entire book of Yechezkel, in a broad sense. Obviously, we can't do every single one of the 48 chapters, but we're going to try to take a look at it and see in broad strokes what the book is about and cert- a, a certain particular aspect that I think um, uh, is characteristic of the entire Sefer. Okay? So, without further ado, um, anyone who is awake Shavuos morning and uh, pays attention to the Haftorah or has learned Sefer Yechezkel uh, knows that the first chapter is extremely cryptic and esoteric. Uh, you begin reading it and there are, there's this flying chariot, divine chariot. There are these creatures, these chayot, that are described with the four different faces and, and the four different types of faces. And there is a lot, a lot, a lot to discuss. Um, I'm not going to go through every aspect, obviously, of Master Merkava, even the things that I understand. But I would like to try to focus on a central aspect and really through that to try to shed light on the entire Sefer. Um, so, before we begin, um, every time in my, in my uh, experience teaching Sefer Yechezkel, every time we would teach Sefer Yechezkel in school, uh, there would be at least one of the rabbis who would get up and say, but you can't do, of course you're going to skip chapter one, right? You're not going to do the first parak because we all know the Mishnah and the Gemara and Chagiga that you're not supposed to, not supposed to teach Maaseh Merkava. And um, just to put everyone's mind at rest that we're not doing anything Aser here and it's okay to learn Maaseh Merkava uh, in the sense that we're going to do it, just uh, very briefly, what I recommend is anyone who's nervous should just open up a Mikrot Gedolot and take a look and see whether or not the commentaries, the classic commentaries, the great Mepharshim, the Rishonim, and uh, great Achronim have anything to say on the first chapter of Yechezkel. Okay, and as soon as you start flipping the pages, you'll see very quickly that from Rashi to the Radak to the Abarbanel, etc., they all had not only something to say about it, but quite a bit to say about it. So whatever it is that we're not supposed to be doing, certainly learning Pshat, um, in this first parak is not what's intended by Chazal. The Ramam has his idea of what Mas Merkava is, the Ramban has his idea, the Ran has a third idea, but that's not for today. That's not our issue. We're going to deal with Pshat, hopefully in a deep way, but we're going to deal with Pshat, and that for sure is why we were given the Sefer in the first place. Okay, so I refer you to the beginning of the source book for those who would like to see inside, and let's focus on a few, a few short psukim. We're told that we're given a time frame, which we're not going to go into. This is the time of the Chorban, right? This is at the time of the Chorban of Bayit Rishon, uh, the first destruction. And what happens is that Yechezkel is in Bavel. He's not in Eretz Yisrael. Unlike Yirmiyahu, he's not in Eretz Yisrael. He's in Bavel. He's already in the exile because the Chorban took, happened in stages. Al Nahar Kvar. Niftechu hashamayim, the heavens opened, vayerem marot Elohim, he sees divine visions. And the rest of the parak goes on to describe that divine vision. A merkava, okay, and it has these creatures, these chayot, and there is fire that is, that is racing between the chayot, and, there, and the, this merkava is zipping in all different directions. Let's focus on Pasuk Gimel for a moment. Udmut hachayot, Right, the, the image of the appearance of these chayot, of these creatures, was like, like burning coals. This fire was going between the creatures, between the chayot. Okay, there was this barak, the, this lightning or sparks or flashes that were coming out of the fire. Keep those that barak that's coming out of the fire in mind, it's going to be important down the road. Okay? 
So, we're going to go a little bit further, and eventually he follows this vision step by step, higher and higher, and he sees a rakia above the chayot, in Pasuk, in Pasuk, uh, in several Pasukim, including in Pasuk Chaphei, Chafav, Mimala rakia asher al rosham kemarei evan sapir dmut kisei, sees his throne, val dmut hakisei dmut kemarei adam alav milamala. And this vision, this image of a dmut adam. Okay, dmut adam, form of man. Vadam. Okay. And then it continues, and we're going to stop for a moment, pause for a moment to ask a simple question. So I have this very difficult, cryptic chapter, which, okay, I understand that somehow it's describing about the departure of the divine presence from the Mikdash. It's describing this idea of Chorban. It's parallel to Yeshayal Paragvav, which it builds on. And the Seder, so we have this vision of the divine presence departing the Beit HaMikdash, departing Yerushalayim, this idea of Chorban, of destruction. That I get. But what is this with the creatures, with the, the, the fire, with the, what's going on? What's it all about? So I need a little bit of help. Okay, I need a little bit of help. So I want to go, since this is, as we said, one of the hardest, most cryptic chapters in Tanakh, what do we want to do? We want to go and find the best mefaresh on Sefer Yechezkel that we could possibly find. We want to find the best number one of the commentaries. And who are we going to go to? Who is the best mefaresh on Sefer Yechezkel? Who can tell me? Okay, so I couldn't hear every single answer, but one <laughs> answer I heard, I don't know if it's because it was the loudest or because it was correct, but absolutely, Yechezkel is the best mefarish on Yechezkel. Okay? And, with no offense, chas v'shalom, to the great mefarshim, all, from all of whom we can learn from, whether it's from Chazal, to, to Rashi, to the Radak, to Mal, and so on and so forth, the Barbanel, so many important mefarshim, but the first and foremost, is of course going to be Yechezkel himself. And, as the Yushalmi says, very famous, we know that the, the goal and the, and the process of learning Torah is to, to take the different pieces that are scattered and to put the pieces together to see the whole puzzle. We have to bring the different texts that are over here and over there and bring them together. That's true throughout Tanakh. And it's especially true within one Sefer. But it's even true of the different Sfarim. But in any case, we're going to focus on Sefer Yechezkel, particularly, we'll expand our horizons a little bit, but particularly Yechezkel. Yechezkel himself explains what this very strange vision is about if we have the patience to read the rest of the book, if we remember what it said in Perak Aleph by the time we get to Perak Yud and then to Perak Chaf Aleph and so on, if we put the pieces together, the picture that emerges is really very simple. Okay, so what I'm just going to try to do is to, to together walk through the different pieces and to try to put them together and to see how uh, a picture emerges once we put the whole picture together. Okay, so our first step on the journey is going to be Perak Yud. Okay, on the bottom of page one. Perak Yud is really... Um, I think once you read Perak Yud, you're already halfway there to understanding Perak Aleph because you read Perak Yud and Yechezkel is very clear about the fact that this explains Perak Aleph. Okay, now obviously he doesn't use that terminology because, you know, he didn't write that Mikra, but it's basically very, very clear in his own way, his own language of saying it. So let's take a look. Perak Yud, we're just going to read a few examples. The entire Perak is relevant, but we're just going to read a few examples. So, above the heads of the, of the Kruvim, I saw this Rakia, and above the Rakia, I saw something that was like, and that was like Evan Sapir, and it was like, there's this Mut Kisei, there's this image of the, the, this throne, etc. Now, that all should sound very familiar to us, right? very familiar, it's almost exactly word for word what we have in Perak Aleph, except that there's one change that takes place from Perak Aleph to Perak Yud. There's one substitution that takes place, okay? And if you didn't get it in Pasuk Aleph, which you probably did, but just in case you didn't get it in Pasuk Aleph, Yechezka repeats this point again and again and again and again, and even tells us that he, ah, I got it also, right? So we read a little bit further. And it describes all the things that we saw in chapter 1, but instead of talking about 
Chayot, it now talks about Kruvim, right? And we go through the chapter and it describes, it's again a repetition of the whole Master Merkava, but this time with Kruvim instead of Chayot. Okay, it takes us all the way to the top of the Merkava and Pasuk Yutet, and it continues, Pasuk Chaf, Hi Hachaya Asharaiti Tachat Elohei Yisrael Ben Harkvar, Va'ida Ki Kruvim Hema. Okay, and then it describes further, and so Yechezkel tells us, ah, I got it. Now I know what the chayot are. What are the chayot? Kruvim. Okay, so the first piece of commentary that we have from Yechezkel himself on this very cryptic Perak Aleph is that I know, very important footnote, you want to know what these chayot are? So there's a lot to discuss about why these four panim and how it connects to the different creatures in Sefer Daniel and what it's telling us. And there's a lot to say about that, but that's a different share for another time. But one thing is very clear. These chayot are in fact kruvim. Okay, it's the first thing I need to know. Now we go to the next step in our journey. Okay, next step. We go now to... You have to turn the page... And we go to Perak Chaf Aleph. And Perak Chaf Aleph does something very interesting. Yechezkel here does something very fascinating uh, that is a little bit unusual. We know that throughout Tanakh there are many, many metaphors, many mishalim, and we have a mashal, and we have a nimshal, we have the, the, the parable, and we have the interpretation of it, and usually we get, you know, maybe some hint, whatever, but basically we're told the mashal, you have to figure out what's a nimshal to. Yechezkel, in this chapter, goes through, point by point by point, in precise parallelism, the mashal, and then the nimshal. Okay? There's nothing left to our imagination. We're told the metaphor, and then we're told exactly what the interpretation is, what it is that it refers to. Okay? So we have an equation between the two parts. And to make it even easier to see, okay, because I'm even a nicer guy than Yechezkel. I'm kidding. The, um, I put the two side by side so you can see it very, very clearly. Okay? If you take a look at the top of the second page of the source book. So you'll see Yechezkel, Parakaf Aleph, the first ten psukim are a re- we are told the same nevuah twice. Once as a mashal, it's a metaphor, once as a nimshal, right? The interpretation of it. We're told it twice. Okay, so let's go through it very quickly. Okay, look at Pasuk Vav right across and you'll see how it begins again a second time in Pasuk Vav, Right? Pasuk Bet, Ben Adam, Sim Panecha Derech Temana, Vatev El Darom, Binave El Yar Hasadeh Negev, Viamar Talayar Hanegev, Shema Dvar Adonai, Koamar Adonai Elohim, Hineni Meitzit Becha Eish, Vachla Becha Kol Eitz Lach, Vachol Eitz Yavesh, Lotirbe, Lahevet Shalhevet, Binitzrevuva, Kol Panim, Minegev Tzavona. So we're told about a forest fire. Okay? Basically, that's what it's about. It's about a forest that is on fire, that's being burnt down. Okay? And everyone will understand that I caused this fire, that I set this fire, and that it will not be put out. Okay, that's the Nevoah. Pasuk Va'omar, and Yechezkel says, and then I said to Hashem, People are laughing at me, says Yechezkel. They're saying that I'm telling them these parables. I'm like, there's some ace up there. What are you talking to us about? Forest fires? Why are you telling us this, Yechezkel? So Yechezkel complains to Hashem that this is, you know, you know, there's a little bit of a strange message to bring the people. And Yechezkel's already said some pretty strange nevuah by the time we get to Perakaf Aleph, without going to that, but for the moment. But the point is that by now, Yechezkel comes and says, you want me to tell them about forest fires? Like is Smokey the Bear next? What, what exactly? That's what I'm going to tell them? So Hashem says, okay, we'll do it straight. Right? We'll do it straight. I'll tell it to you not as a mashal. I'm going to tell it to you in a very straightforward way. And then Hashem repeats the exact same nevuah point by point by point. And we're not going to go through every single little detail. But if you compare the two, you'll see it's very, very clear. And he goes through and he says it in terms of the nimshal. A repeat of Pasagal. Ben Adam, sim panecha el Yerushalayim. Okay, so 
Okay, so that's very straight. We're talking about Yushalayim, we're talking about Eretz Yisrael, we're talking about the Beit HaMikdash. Ah, we're not talking about a forest fire, we're talking about the Chorban, and we're talking about Hashem unsheathing His sword. Right? That's what the forest fire is all about. This fire is a reference to the destruction that Hashem is about to unleash. Okay? That's what it's about. And we continue. Pasuk Yud, yeah? Good. So, the second thing that I now know is that there's a parallelism, there's an equation being drawn in Sefer Yecheskel between the sword, between Hashem's cherev, and what represents Hashem's cherev here? The fire, the esh. Okay, the fire. Now, I don't know at this point, it's not necessarily fair, I can speculate, but I can't, be sure at this point that the fire that was mitalech ben akruvim, right, that was traveling between the kruvim slash chayot in Perak Aleph is the same fire in Perak Aleph, right? That's a legitimate question. I'm, I'm, I'm also skeptical, you know. Uh, prove it to me. You know. But once we get a little bit further in the chapter, it becomes, I wouldn't say explicit, but certainly becomes much clearer, okay? And much more obvious that that's indeed what's going on. Because we go to Pasuk Gimel. Speak to the sword, Hashem says to and tell the sword, you are sharpened and you are, I was trouble with this word, but I think it's barnished, burnished, barnished, when you polish a sword, something like that, right? So anyhow, which is it? Burnished. Okay. So the sword is, 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 I'll just use polished and be safe. Um, and, but okay, say the sword is sharpened and, and it's burnished. Why? So we're told, Pasuk Tevav, Leman Tevoach Tevach Uchadat, sharpened to slaughter. Leman Heyela Barak Morata, Onasis Shevepni Moese Koletz. Okay, it is, it is polished. Why? Leman Heyela Barak. So what is it that's coming from this sword? Right? Barak. Barak is coming out of the sword. Okay? There are, meaning it's sparkling, right? It's, there are these, like these uh, flashes of light that are coming out of the sword. In other words, we have here a sword, a sword which we're told is, the mashal for the sword is the fire, right? The, the metaphor for the sword is the fire. And what is coming out of this sword? Out of the sword is coming Barak. Okay? Which makes me think, again, judge for yourselves, it makes me think that this is the same fire, right, from which Barak was emanating back in chapter 1. Okay? In other words, I have the fire from which is coming Barak. I'm very suspicious that this is the same fire of Perak Aleph. And therefore, I now know a second thing. I not only have the Kruvim, but I also have this fire, which is the metaphor for the sword. Okay? Everyone with me so far? Okay, let's go one step further in Perak Aleph before we go back to Perak Aleph and try to understand it. And then, a few psukim later, in Pasuk Aleph, Yechezkel is told to say the following to the sword, the same sword of Perak Aleph. Hit achadi, heimini, hasimi, hasmili, ana panayach muadot. Yechezkel is to address the sword and to say to this sword, Sword, where are you going? Left, right, which way are you facing? Right. So what is the sword doing? Sword is going to the left, it's going to the right. What's it doing? It's turning, right? It's in the biblical Hebrew, we might say it is mitapechet, right? Mitapechet is to turn over from one side to the other, right? It is, it is turning from one side to the other, from left to right, it's going back and forth, it's mitapechet. So now, Let's see if this sounds at all familiar to you. Okay, let's go back to Perak Aleph with what we know from subsequent chapters of Yechezkel. Okay? And we have, back in Perak Aleph, what do we have? We have these chayot. But we know what the chayot are now. The chayot are kruvim. So we have these kruvim and alongside the kruvim is this fire. 
but the fire is in fact a sword. Okay, so we have a fiery sword. We have a fiery sword which is doing what? It is mitapachet, it's turning. Okay, anyone recognize this image? Yes, right? So when man is kicked out, when Adam and Chava are kicked out of Gan Eden, right, when they're kicked out of Gan Eden, Hashem places Vayashkein et hakruvim, at the end of Parakimel, Vayashkein et hakruvim, vetlat hacher v'hamitapechet. God places the kruvim. It's the first time that we have kruvim in the Torah. It's the original place. All the other places that you have kruvim, go back to that. We don't have time to go through each and every one, but, you know, check it out, you'll see. The kruvim we have that go back to Parakimel, Abreshit, after Adam is kicked out of Gan Eden, Hashem places these guardians to, to guard the path back into Gan Eden, to the Derech Eitzachayim, Lushmur Derech Eitzachayim, God places these Kruvim, and what are the Kruvim armed with? Lahat HaCherv HaMetapechet, right? The, the fire of the turning sword, okay? So, you look at the rest of Perak Aleph, and we're not going to go through all of it now, but what else do we have in Perak Aleph? We have this, again, a very important but not simple and definitely beyond the scope of what we're discussing today, but some sort of a idea of this Demut Adam, this Demut Elohim, right at the end of Perak Aleph, and this idea of, right, this Selim Elohim idea, this idea of Adam, this idea of Adam, which comes up again and again in Perak Aleph, the idea of the Rakia, and so on. Again, the more you read Perak Aleph, the more you'll see the imagery from the opening chapters of Sefer Breshid, right? But, in particular, I want to focus on that we have this idea of the path that leads in and out of Gan Eden. Let's not forget that the Kruvim are the centerpiece of not only of, Gan, of the Gan Eden story, but also of the Mikdash, right? The Mikdash, the place of Hashem's friend. That's what Perakalf is all about. It's about this Merkava, which represents the idea that instead of the place of Hashem's Shrina being a bayit, being a stable, right, location, a, ha- a home, a house, it's now this super mobile ship that's zipping around in every direction instantaneously, uh, on the ground, in the air, wherever it may be. The Shechina is not stable anymore. It's not staying in one place. We're not going to experience Hashem's presence in the Beit HaMignash. But now, it is, right, wherever. Okay, which is an idea that we're going to talk a little more about, Belin Eder, in a few moments. In any case, but what is the, so this is the fundamental, this is the foundation of Vua, the, the, uh, the Hakdashav of Yechezkel in Perak Alv. It is the Nevuah about the Chorban and what is the image, or one of the images, because there's more than one, but the first image that we're going to discuss in terms of, in terms of this Masemer Kava, it's the image of the expulsion from Ganeta. Okay? And keep in mind, what are the two most basic aspects of the expulsion from Ganeden? What are the two basic punishments? Punishment number one, the most major one. Again, the others are relevant as well, but the two major ones are number one, I can't hear it. Check out. Right, there is exile and death. Right? Exile and death. Man is kicked out of God's presence. Gan Eden, number one. Number two, and no particular order. Number two, what they're warned about before, back already, right before they eat from Etzatad, is that they eat from it, they're going to die. And, of course, these are the two major aspects of the Chorban. And the idea that this is, these two ideas are the consequence of Chet, that's, of course, a very central idea in Sefer Yechezkel. And it's put out there right away in Perak Aleph. We may not understand it in Perak Aleph, but we already have it in Perak Aleph. And this Masa Merkava, the same vision in different forms, repeats itself again and again and again throughout the Sefer. Yechezkel doesn't just see this Merkava, doesn't just see this image, the Kisei and the Levnat Sapir and the, and the Dmut Adam and all these things. And the, and the Marot Elohim just in Perak Aleph, it comes back again and again throughout the Sefer. In fact, it's the thread that runs through and ties together the entire Sefer, as we'll see, Bezra Hashem, over the next few minutes. Okay? But, but to begin with, this is how, it's, how it appears in the first part of Yechezkel. Okay? This vision of destruction, of Chorban. Okay. The first part of Yechezkel can basically be defined... Okay, this, the, the first, there are really three segments to Yechezkel. Okay, 
three basic components to Yechezkel, to Sefer Yechezkel. Okay, the 48 chapters can be divided into three basic parts. The first is Perak Aleph through Chapdalet. Okay, and they're very clear. There's not a, read through the chapters, you'll see it's very obvious. The first 24 chapters focus in a very, very, very focused and concentrated way on the Chorban. Okay, the first 24 chapters are all about the Chorban. In fact, there's explicit discussion within Yechezkel of how he's really not able to speak about almost anything else until the Chorban actually takes place. And that's the first section of Yechezkel. He can't talk about, you know, the, the rebuilding of the Beit Hamikdash. He can't talk about the Atzamot the, Hebei the, uh, He can't talk about Melchemagog Magog. He can't talk about any of these things until we get to, right, get past the Chorban. That's the first 24 chapters. After that, we have the second section. And the second section deals with Nivuot to other nations. Okay? Nivuot to other nations. Mitzrayim, Ansur, and others, Ammon, Moab, etc. Again, a whole list of nations that receive Nivuot. And those Nivuot go from Parakhav Hey. Okay? Parakhav Hey. That's the second section. We now are moving into the second section, at least uh, for the time being. Second section, Parakhav Chafhei all the way through Lamed Bet. Okay, Chafhei through Lamed Bet. Lamed Gimel, till the end, he returns to Am Yisrael, he returns to Bnei Yisrael, and he talks about the Nevuot that have to do more with Geula. Okay, but, but this is, these are the three basic sections. Okay, so Chorban, other nations, and then Geula. Okay, those are the three pieces of Yechezkel. Segment number two. We're going to just look at one example because, again, time is short. Um, Yechezkel Perak Chafchet. Okay, the box in the middle, smack in the middle of side two, of page two. This chapter is addressed to the king of Tzor. Okay, of Tzor. And, I believe Tyre in English, and in any case, the king of Tzor, and Pasubet, we're told Ben Adam, Hashem addresses him and says, Ben Adam, because you've been so arrogant, so haughty, but Tomar Elani, you said about yourself that you are God, or a God. Moshav Elohim Yamim. you're not God, says Yechezkel, or Hashem to, right, Hashem through Yechezkel, to the king of Tzor. Va'ata Adam, Velo El, you are Adam, you're man, you're not God. Now, immediately, when we read a passage like this, and by the way, any time, any time in all of Tanakh, where Adam is referred to, you have to at least suspect, I'm going to understate the case, at least suspect that in addition to referring to mankind, it's talking also, at least on some level, about Adam HaRishon. But in any case, certainly here you have to suspect when the king of Tzor is addressed. And what does it say about the king of Tzor? It says that, Listen, you think that you're God, but really you're only Adam. You're really only man. Right? What was the chayt of Adam? Right? V'yitem kelohim yodei tovara that Adam and Chava think that they're going to take the place of God instead of Hashem being God, that they're going to be God instead and they're going to decide what's tov and ra instead of God deciding what's tov and ra. Right? They take the place of Elohim. In Perak Aleph, we read about again and again, Vayar Elohim ki tov, right? All of Perak Aleph, the refrain is Vayar Elohim Kitov. What happens in in the story of the Etzadat in Perak Gimel? So we read instead Vatera Haisha Kitov, right? Vatera Haisha Kitov Machal, etc. She is replacing Elohim. She's replacing God. She's assigned what's Tov and what's not. So the point is that we go to hear what is the King of Tzor doing? He's saying, "I am God." And what does Hashem say to him? You're not God. You're just Adam, <laughs> right? Which means you're just a mortal. But on the other hand, it also means you're doing the same thing that Adam did, right? You're doing the exact same thing that Adam Arishon did. If that's not clear enough, if you think that that's subtle, if you think that this is, you know, that I'm, I'm being Jewish or whatever, please bear with me for one more minute, Mamash, and you'll see that I don't think that's the case because you go to Pasuk Yud Gimel, and I think that you have to really, you know, make a tremendous effort not to see this because as it continues... Pasuk Yud Gimel, Be'eden Gan Elohim Hayita. Okay, this is addressing the king of Tzor. It's continuing the same, the same message to the king of Tzor. You, who we just called Adam a minute ago, you were in the, in, in Eden, the garden of God, 
Now, is that not clear enough, right? Is Yechezkel being subtle here? Okay, I actually know people who could miss this, but I, I don't know how. I don't know how. It's like, look at the Basak, it's, it's beferish. Okay, anyhow. And so it goes on and says that, you know what? You were placed in Aden, in the Garden of God, and you had this, this covering of this, like this sukkah, kilu, of this, this canopy of all these precious stones. As well as gold. Okay, now there's a lot to say about this, but the very least we need to say is that look what we have here. We have a three-way comparison, okay? I don't know if we have a marker. It's okay, or, or a board, but it's fine. We don't need to, not want to waste time on it. It's fine. Just, just, you know, pay attention to the triangle behind me, okay? That'll do. And we have three points of comparison. The three points of comparison are the king of Tzor, okay, who doesn't really interest us all that much because he's long gone by now. We have the king of Tzor, and we have two others. We have Adam Arishon. And the third point is, well, where do we recognize this from? This gold and all these precious stones. Uh, the Kohen Gadol, right? The Kohen, right? Exactly. So the, the comparison that's being made and the difference between the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol, I need a whole other share for, so we're not going to do that now. But, the Kitsur Nimrat's really just, you know, they say, um, we're just going to, just to, the tip of the iceberg, the point is that certainly at the very least there's a comparison between Adam Rishon and the Kohen. Okay, specifically the Kohen. God, in this case, but whatever it is, the Kohuna and Adam. Okay, because it's going to be very important for us as we go on, so please pay careful attention to that point. Okay? And this idea that the Kohen represents, the Kohen God specifically, but even the Kohen represents Adam Rishon, this is an idea, you have a chair? Okay. This is an idea that runs throughout not only Tanakh, but runs throughout Chazal. Chazal alludes to this idea again and again and again. We'll perhaps take a look at just two very quick examples. If you take a look at Rabbeinu Bachya on Breshet Paragimel, he quotes a Midrash which is, I believe, not extant. However, he quotes this Midrash which he did have, which is after Adam Arishon are kicked out of Gan Eden. It says that they're kicked out of Gan Eden. And what happens? Vayal Bishem. What did he, what did he clothe them in? Right? It says, Katnot. Right? He put on them, they, the garment that he gave them was a Katonet. Okay? Says the Midrash, says the Midrash, Bigdei Kuna Gidolahu Bisham. Ktiv Hacha Vayal Bishem, Ktiv Hatam Vayal Bishem, Katnot. Okay? So, and, and of course, the Katonet is the basic garment of the Kohen. Okay? This is one example. We have this, many, many examples, and it's very beautiful if you think about it, the idea that the Kohen, Wears a ketonet is very, very powerful. Okay, I'm going to take a moment to try to explain why that's so powerful. Why is that so powerful? Because, think about this for a moment. Hashem clothes Adam and Chava in kotnot, right? Gives them this ketonet to wear. This tunic web, okay? Like a tunic-ish, I'm not, I'm not going to call it. Basically, this, I think this usually translates as a tunic. But the, he, wear, the, he placed this garment on them. Now think how beautiful this is. Okay, think how beautiful this is. Imagine the following scene for one moment. This is how I, how, how I kind of think of it. The fact that Baruch Hashem, I have, you know, ten children and two grandchildren might have something to do with it. But the, the point is that I think about it in these terms. Imagine for a moment, I'll take an example, not that it would ever happen, but my very, very adorable, delicious five-year-old Amikodesh. So Amikodesh is alone at home with me and... You know, I'm in the middle of doing something very important and I'm trying to get something done. I'm in the middle of a phone call. I'm in the middle of, a, of some work that I'm doing or trying to learn something, whatever it is. And I'm kind of keeping an eye on Amikosh. And Amikosh is inching closer to the stove or the oven that is going and very hot. And as he gets a little bit close, I go, Amikosh, get away from there. It's hot. You're going to burn yourself. Don't go near it. And he moves away. Okay? I get re-engaged in whatever I'm doing and I engross a little bit. He manages to get, you know, a meter or two closer, but I see him out of the corner of my eyes. I'm encouraged get away from me, get burnt. A few minutes later, right, a few minutes later, I get really engrossed in what I'm doing, and all of a sudden you hear, ah, right, he succeeded in his mission. He managed to burn himself. Ah. So, 
There are two things I could do. I can say, I'm Kodesh, you idiot. I told you not to touch the stove. It's hot. Now you know why I told you. Deal with it. You know, if you listen to me, you wouldn't have gone burnt. Okay. And if it weren't for the fact that Amikosh is my son and I love him, maybe I would have the reaction. But he's my son and I love him. So what I do? I take him, I give him a kiss and a hug and a band-aid with, you know, and then a lollipop and whatever. And between a band-aid and a lollipop, everything, you know. Sort of, yeah. So the point is, and then afterwards, maybe I'll explain to him, you know, you shouldn't have done that and this is why you should listen. Okay, but first, you know, Adam and Chava realize that they're naked and they need to be clothed by Hashem. Why do they need to be clothed all of a sudden? Right? Why all of a sudden do they need clothing? Because they ate from the Etzadat. They didn't listen to God. Hashem doesn't say to them, I told you not to eat from the Etzadat. Deal with it. You know, <laughs> Go buy yourself clothing. Do something. It's not my problem. You should have listened to me. Hashem said, right? Hashem is malbish them, he clothes them in katanot or. Without getting to what katanot or are, but it's a beautiful, beautiful symbol of the fact that Hashem cares for us and loves us even when we don't listen to him, even when we're chote. And therefore, what is the, one of the central jobs of the Kohen? Right? The Kohen is there to lead us in the process of tshuva, of kapara, of try, dealing with the fact, like after we sin, so therefore, that's a central idea in the Mikdash, again, not for today, but this is such a beautiful symbol that the Kohen wears the ketonet of Adam and Chava. Okay, let's go a drop further. Um, I just want to show you one more Midrash, one more Chazal, Midrash Tanchuma, Midrash Tanchuma, very important Midrash Tanchuma. Um, it's in Parashat Bakude with Midrash Tanchuma. Again, I'm not going to read inside, but you just can read at your leisure because we have a lot more ground to cover. But, Bikitsur, the Midrash talks about the idea that the Mishkan is a kind of a microcosm. Okay, the Mishkan is a kind of a microcosm. It re- represents Masay Bereshit. And each thing has a parallel. Each thing has a parallel. It goes through Yikavu Amayim is the Kiyor, and the Rakia is the Yiriot, and so on and so forth. We go through each aspect of creation and how it's reflected in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, and then the Midrash says, and Adam HaRishon. Where's Adam HaRishon? Adam HaRishon is... The Kohen. Okay? The Kohen represents Adam Arisha. Very important to understand, again, this idea. Where does all this come from? So amongst other things, it comes from Yechezkel Parachavchet. Okay? This idea of the Kohen and Adam Arisha, Yechezkel Parachavchet. Okay? Good. Let's go a step further. So this is the second section. So what happens is, the image of Gan Eden and the, and the, the sin of Gan Eden and the consequence, etc., which is an image of Horban in the first segment, the first segment, the first 24 chapters of Yechezkel becomes a symbol of rebuke for the other nations, not for Amisra, but for the other nations, and particularly nations that are problematic for Amisra, etc. That's the middle section. So it's a transition. And then we move to part three. What's part three? What's part three? So part three is from Paraglam and Gimel, okay, chapter 33, till the end. And there, there are many, many beautiful, beautiful... Um, Prakim, we're not going to go through it in, in detail, but I want to just give you two examples that I think are so remarkable. And you can see how this same image of Gan Eden, the same image of the beginning of Breshit, of the whole Gan Eden story in Adam and Chava, is used once again, as it is throughout the whole Sefer, but it takes on a whole different meaning. Okay? And the twist here is so beautiful. So let's take a look for a moment. Yechezkel, Periklam, and Vav. Okay, the next to last box on the bottom of side two. Ko amar Adonai Elohim, v'yom tahari etchem mikol avonotechem, v'oshavdi et harim, v'nivnu hecharavot. Hashem talks about rebuilding, rebuilding the cities of Eretz Yisrael. Va'aret haneshama te'aved, and the land that was desolate will once again be worked. And it's just so incredible to read these psukim. It's like, actually, the description of the last hundred years is incredible. But we continue, Right? Everyone who went through Eretz Yisrael for hundreds of years described how desolate, how, how barren it was. And now, instead of that, the people will say that this land that was so desolate is now all built up. It's all populated, it's all built up, it's all uh, filled with agriculture, etc. Pasuk Lam Vav, listen to this Pasuk. 
וידעו הגויים אשר ישרו סביבותיכם כי אני אדוני בניתי הנרסות נתתי הנשמה אני אדוני דיברתי ועשיתי. Where is the pasuk I wanted? Oh, I skipped it. I'm sorry. Pasuk Lamed Hey. Thank you. Pasuk Lamed Hey. I'm really rushing to try to get it all in. That's the problem. Okay. Va'amru ha'aretz halezu anashama hita ki gan eden ve'arim ha'charavot anashamot ve'nasob b'tzrot yashavu. Went through it too fast. Okay. So again, they will say that this land that was so desolate now is what? Like Gan Eden, right? Like Gan Eden before Adam and Chavasin, right? Before they're kicked out, before the, the description of the, the, the ideal picture of Gan Eden at the very beginning of the story, we return to that, and that's the image of the third part of Yechezkel where he talks about Gula. It's no coincidence that after Perak Lamed Vav, after Perak Lamed Vav comes Perak Lamed Zion, what does Perak Lamed Zion talk about? It talks about the Atzamot Haivei Shot. It talks about, it's this tremendous nevuah of national tchiat hametim, okay? And whether it's a metaphor, whether it's literal, it doesn't matter. Tchiat hametim is discussed already in Chumash, so it doesn't really matter. But in any case, uh, some people missed that also, but no, only twice, but in any case. The point is that, the, that whether Yechezkel is talking about tchiat hametim in the sense of, of physical resurrection, he's talking about the rebirth of Am Yisrael, he's talking about both. But one thing is clear, he talks about the idea of tchiat hametim, Right? And there's this very clear metaphor about these dry bones that come back to life and stand up, etc. And Gamari discusses what exactly how to understand. The point is that this is and this image of Triatamatim is of course the other side of the coin of the Yoma Chachamimotamut, right? The idea of mortality that is brought is is brought into the world through the chait of Adam and Chava, through Gan Eden, right? This is a reversal going back again to the state of Gan Eden before Adam and Chava sin. That's what we have in Perak Lamed Zayin, falling on the heels of Perak Lamed Vav. And again, this applies not just to those two prakim, but to the totality of the third segment of Yechezkel. But, I was hoping to get in a little bit more, so we're going to move forward and Dayel Chakima Burimisa. That gives you an idea of the three basic segments of Yechezkel and how each one uses and focuses on the image of Gan Eden, but in a very different way. Okay, the first segment, the destruction, how Chait leads to to death and exile. The second section, about Umot HaOlam. The third section, dealing with Geula dealing with redemption and and the idea of the return to Gan Eden before the Chet. Okay, let's go now to a footnote. Okay, or or yeah, one quick footnote, and then we get to the point of the year. The footnote that I want to share with you is the following: everything I said until this moment, until this moment, in my personal opinion, I'm not speaking for anyone other than myself, but in my opinion. Everything that I said until this moment, I'm convinced is true. Okay? That doesn't mean it's right. I could be totally wrong. But in my opinion, everything I said until now, I'm claiming is true, is pshat. That's really what's going on. For you. I'm saying as far as I'm concerned, that's my opinion. I'm expressing my opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. You can disagree with everything I'm saying. Of course. I, I don't need my permission for that. But, uh, but I'm just saying that in my opinion, everything I believe that everything I've said so far is true and everything I've said so far is true. What I'm about to say I think is true also, but it's, in a, it's, it's a different category than... Just, I'm just talking about the next point. I'm going to go forward to other things I think are also absolutely true. But, but I want to just say one thing which I, I can't say like I'm sure or I'm convinced. It's a suggestion. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. But I want to just put it out there because I think it's, it's, it's at least as good, maybe better than some of the other suggestions that are out there. So I'm going to give you a suggestion and you judge for yourselves. Okay? But very quickly. Bottom of page two. Okay, bottom of page two. Pasuk, uh, I'm sorry, Perichet, the beginning of Perichet. Okay, beginning of Perichet. So, Yechezkel is sitting there in his house, and and he suddenly sees this vision. And the vision is exactly the vision of Perak Aleph, the vision of the Maaseh Merkava, the divine chariot, Pasuk Gimel. And a hand, the form of a hand, reaches out. And grabs me literally by the strings of my head, meaning my, my hair. Grabs me by my hair. And lifts me between earth and, and sky. And it brings me 
to Yerushalayim, listen to the next few words, Bimarot Elohim, in divine visions. Now let's follow this for a moment. Yechezkel is brought to Yerushalayim, Bimarot Elohim, in divine visions. So the simple reading of that, and it's certainly true, is that he's not brought there geographically, he's not brought there physically, he's brought there in this vision, that's what he sees in his vision. But there's a second meaning to it, I believe. There's a second meaning, a second level, which is that Yechezkel is brought there, Bimarot Elohim. Now, Marot Elohim, do we remember this phrase? Where did we see Marot Elohim before? The very beginning of Yechezkel, right? The very, very beginning. Niftachu HaShemayim Bar'eh, Marot Elohim. He saw Marot Elohim. What's the Marot Elohim? The Merkava. Right? The Merkava is, after all, a mode of transport. Right? Of transportation. Now, now we have to have in the back of our minds like the old, the old, you know, UFO movies. Okay? But picture this scene. Picture the scene for a second. Yechezkel is sitting there. All of a sudden, there's this divine chariot that comes, you know, appears out of no place, up in the air. The form of a hand reaches out, grabs him by his hair. He's picked up by this ruach and brought between heaven and earth and he's brought to Yerushalayim b'marot elokim. And marot elokim in Perak Aleph refers to the Merkava. Right? So it seems to me that what's happening here is that Yechezkel, who in Perak Aleph is an observer of the Merkava, in Perak Ched already becomes a participant, right? A, a passenger, a participant, a part of the, the vision, part of his vision itself, of, of, of the Merkava. And, if that's the case, think about this for a moment. We know almost nothing about Yechezkel personally, right? We know a lot of his Nevuot, but in terms of the person, we don't really meet Yechezkel the person very much. Okay? It's not, he's not like Yemiyahu, who we feel like, you know, we know him you know, very well and all the suffering and everything. But Yechezkel, we read his Nebuot, and it's very, very detached, you know, and basically we only meet him as a Navi. But we know one thing, at least, more than one, but one thing in particular we know about him as a person, we know that he is, we're told in the very beginning of the Perak, the very beginning of the Sefer, the very beginning of Perak Aleph, that he is a Kohen. Right? He's a Kohen. He's a Kohen. Okay, we're told that right at the beginning. You can refer back to the very beginning of Parakal, if you'll see, describes him as a Kohen. And we know from Yechezkel himself in Parakhavchet, in Parakhavchet, that a Kohen is in the image of Adam. Now, why does that interest me so much? Because there's a curiosity in Sefer Yechezkel. The curiosity is that Yechezkel is referred to as, he has a nickname, which is not unique, but it's close to it. Yechezkel is referred to as what? Ben Adam, son of man, Ben Adam. Why is he called Ben Adam? Okay, and there are all kinds of different theories, some which I think are less compelling than, okay, but there are different theories. Why is he called Ben Adam? Perhaps, perhaps, if we put the pieces together again, and we see that Yechezkel is part of the Maser Merkava. He's in the Merkava, right? He's a participant in the Merkava. And in the Merkava, there is this huge, this superhuman Demut Adam, right? That's the, that's the pinnacle of this vision, this Demut Adam, this form of Adam. And the Adam there we saw refers back to, it alludes to Adam Arishon. And Yechezkel is a coin which is also this idea of Demut Adam. So we have this, this Demut Adam and we have this Demut Adam, right? Traveling side by side. Now, if you saw two people traveling together in a chariot that looked similar, but one was big and one was small, what, you might, what might you conclude? So perhaps that's why it's called Ben Adam. It's a suggestion. Okay? So that's, that's a suggestion. We return back to, to terra firma, but that is the suggestion I want to throw out there. Perhaps that's why it's called Ben Adam. Okay. Let us now turn the page, and I'd like to... Yes. The, su- the suggestion again... No problem. The suggestion again is very simple. That Yechezkel is a Kohen. Kohen is in the image of Adam. Okay? There's this giant, the superhuman Dmut Adam, and there's this Yechezkel Dmut Adam. So if he's the small Dmut Adam, and this is big Dmut Adam, right? 
So perhaps the imagery here is like a kilo of a father and son, and therefore he's called Ben Adam, son of man. Okay? Son of Adam. Okay. Page three. Page three. We're almost up to the shear. Fret not. Okay. At the risk of repeating, I always say my shirim are very short. They're like three minutes long. It's the introduction. If you survive the introduction, the shear is a piece of cake. Okay. So, we move now closer. We edge to the, to the, to the essence of what, what today's shear is about. Side three. There is, there is a, um, there's a methodology in learning I suppose anything, but, but certainly in learning Tanakh, um, since that's what we're here for today, in learning Tanakh, there's a simple, simple, simple methodology that is so helpful, so helpful, and so simple, and makes so much sense that I want to give to you as a little gift, and you can take it and use it wherever you're doing a hard piece of Tanakh. It could be a particular parak, a particular sefer, whatever it is. This always helps, okay? And it makes so much sense. Just think about it for a moment. We all know we all know, and I kind of got this from, uh, not exactly, but the, the, the kernel of the idea from the Akeda Yitzchak of Yitzchak Arma, his commentary on, on uh, Kohelet. In any case, that we all know that if someone gives a speech, or if someone writes an article, or if someone writes a book, okay, they are going to put their, their they're going to put the essence of what they're saying, they're going to put the most effort in preparing, what parts? The very beginning and the very end, Okay. We all know that because what sticks in people's mind most, what makes the most impression is the very beginning and very end. Doesn't it make sense if you want to get a handle on what the essence of a particular section is, a particular parak, a particular parasha, a particular, particular sefer, right? And it's difficult. And it's, so instead of going only, I'm not saying don't go straight through the whole thing, of course, but, but perhaps even first, look at the very beginning and the very end, and see what you notice when you look at the very beginning and the end, it will probably give you a clue, it will probably help you focus on the essence of what's, at least part of the essence of what's being said. So I want to do that with the first paragraph of Yechezkel for just one moment, with Mas Merkava for just a moment, and show you something fascinating. The paragraph begins, the Nevuah begins with, Niftuchu HaShamayim Bar'em Arot Elokim. Niftuchu HaShamayim, the heavens open. Okay? The end of paragraph Aleph, if you take a look again at this sheet, the very bottom, Pasuk Mem Chet, Believe I'm not waiting. Pasuk Memchet, rather. What? Chavchet, Chavchet, I'm sorry. I wasn't wearing my glasses. I just put them on. Okay. Chavchet, yes, I should know that. I know. Kimare hakesher asher yebanan biyom hageshem. Kimare hanoga saviv, etc., etc. In other words, the parak begins, the Nevoah begins with Niftechu Ashamayim, the heavens open, and it concludes with like the appearance of the rainbow on a rainy day. Okay, you recognize that? Right? This is, right, this is the story of the Mabel, the story of the deluge, the story of the Mabel. And that's very important. And by the way, if you look through Perak Aleph entirely, and you look beyond Perak Aleph, you'll see many other allusions to the story of the Mabel, to the story of Noah. And just very briefly, why is that so important? It's so powerful, it's such a beautiful image, but I'm just showing you from just the first Paschal last, such a beautiful image, because think about it. What is the Mabel about? Number one, the world is coming to an end. But there's also a covenant with man and there's going to be an afterwards and there's going to be rebuilding and in fact the destruction is even going to lead to the potential for rebuilding in a better way. The Chulay. Right? Yechezkel is describing the Chorban. He's describing it specifically to the people of Babel who are going to be involved in the rebuilding after the Chorban. <coughs> and Yechezkel is saying to them in a very subtle way but a very powerful way that understand that there's a Brit, understand there's a covenant, understand that Hashem is punishing and in a very awful way, in a very severe way, and that's all true and at the end of the world for the Jewish people on one level. On another level, it's going to be a new beginning and there's going to be an afterwards and you have to understand that as well. This is one of the, and it's not coincidental, that of course, Noah is a continuation of Adam and this is very, all part of one long story. This is... What we really just saw, and uh, I'm going to give you just one or two very quick examples, is a very important aspect of Sefer Yechezkel. Sefer Yechezkel, certainly the first part of Sefer Yechezkel, the first third, let's say, the first 24 prakim, is almost entirely Chorban. Is almost entirely Chorban. 
on the surface. But beneath the surface, beneath the surface, there is a nechama before you get to Perak Lamed Gimel and Lamed Hey and Lamed Vav and, and the, all the prakim about the Binyan Beit Migdash and, and the Mems. But before you get to that, there is an inner an inner consolation, an inner sweetness within the bitterness of the Nevoah to Yechezkel that is very important to be sensitive to. And Yechezkel himself really indicates this. Yechezkel himself really indicates this. And I want to just give you um, very, very quickly two, two examples um, of this idea. So, or maybe three. Okay. Very quick example. On the one hand, there's this idea of the Merkava. The Merkava is about how the Divine Presence, the Shekhinah, is leaving the Mikdash, is leaving Mishalayim. But it's also about how the Shekhinah is going to be, on some level, to a minor degree, available in flashes all over. Right? That it's true that we're not going to have a central place, we're not going to have one place and in a powerful way to go to the Makam Shekhinah, but there are going to be opportunities for experiencing the Shekhinah in minor ways, all over the place. And Yechezkel says this explicitly in Perkir Aleph, Pasuk Tetzayin, second source on the third page, Lachain emor ko amar Adonai lehim, ki yerchaktem bagoyim v'chi apitzotim baratzot, v'ahi lahem l'mikdash ma'at baratzot asher ba'asham. As I scatter you to all the nations, you should know, and to all the countries, you should know that I'm going to be for you a mikdash ma'at. Hashem says, I'm going to be like a small mikdash, a small temple for you in all of these places. Of course, because I'll say this is manifest through the, the, through the, through the Beit Knesset and through the Beit Medrash, but in any case, but the idea that Hashem is going to be there with us in all these places, that's represented already by the Merkava, which is the Divine Presence, right? Zipping all over the place, being all over, being everywhere at the same time as it's not in one place. Um, in Perak Ted Zion, one of the most powerful images, and this is really the, the uh, foundation for one of the keynotes of Tisha B'av. Again, we're running out of time, so very quickly. Cheskel Perak Tetzayin, fascinating, fascinating, and very long Perak, but just B'Kitzur. It's Perak which describes this mashal about Hashem and B'nai Yisrael, the love between Hashem and B'nai Yisrael, and combines many different, many different metaphors, many different images, and many different ideas. It goes through the whole history of, of, of the Jewish people, from Yitziat Mitzrayim on, and... Um, Again, very and describes Bnei Israel as this starting off as this very young girl and growing up and all of the betrayals and the consequences, etc., etc. And it really begins with Hashem finding this abandoned child who is totally uh, covered in, in, in muck and, and, and blood and, and wallowing in the dirt. And, and then it describes how in Pasuk Zayin, Rivavak, Etzemach Hasaden, Etatich, describes how she's totally naked and Hashem comes and sees and takes compassion and enters into this covenant, this, this relationship, this marriage, and then we go through the betrayal and so on and so forth and it describes how B'nai Yisrael are unfaithful and metaphor for Avodah Zarah, etc., etc. It's both explicit and implicit. And then we go to Pasuk Lamentet. Hashem says, I'm going to place you in the hand of all these nations that you ran after. And they will strip you naked. They will take all of these beautiful garments that I've given you. They will leave you without anything. They'll leave you totally naked. And on the one hand, it's this image of total desolation, it's this image of destruction, it's this image of being in the lowest possible rung. At the same time, what does it do? It brings us right back to, it brings us right back to, word for word, it brings us right back to Pasuk Vav, sorry, Pasuk, I put my glasses back on, Pasuk Zion I meant, Pasuk Zion, right? What comes right after Va'ate Rom Veria? etc. Hashem comes and has compassion and, and spreads his cloak over and In other words, the idea, this image on the one hand of Chorban, but also how it's going to be a stepping stone, a step towards towards Geula. Um, I wanted to just conclude with the following with the following two psukim. Um, 
if you take a look at the very top of page three, where this will conclude, I think this wraps up everything we've learned today. Hashem instructs Yechezkel to take this Megillah, this scroll that contains the prophecies that Hashem is giving to Yechezkel. Yechezkel is given all these prophecies in a scroll, whether literal or figurative, but in any case, that's the vision that he has. And he, 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 uh, opens his mouth and he eats this scroll. You know, he, he absorbs these nevuot. Um, and you should digest all of this megillah. And he says, and I ate it. And it was sweet in my mouth like honey. The Megillah, which was described earlier, is, is, is described as being written on it, and all these lamentations and woe, and it's the Nevuot of Horban, when he takes it into his mouth. We all know that's the beginning of the digestive process. As he begins to digest it, it becomes very sweet. And that's really an essential point in Sefer Yechezkel. The surface, certainly of the beginning, is very, very bitter. It's very, very bitter. It's all about korban. It's all about chet and onesh. But underneath it, when one starts to digest it, there is this tremendous sweetness. And that's really this image of Gan Eden that is on the one hand presented as a, as a symbol of chet and onesh, of sin and punishment, of death and exile in the first part of Yechezkel, but it's going to lay the, ground, lay the foundation, it's going to be the groundwork for the redemption that's going to be described as we go through the Sefer and come to the third part where it becomes the image of Eretz Yisrael once again being Kigan Eden and Tchiat HaMeitim and so on and so forth. Okay, Yom Tov.